Welcome to the Outdoor Feast by Modern Carnivore. If you're new to hunting, fishing, or foraging, we welcome you to the conversation. Get ready for stories and insights that start in the Northeast, but range to the South, Far West, and wide open spaces in between. Now, here's your host, Todd Waldron. Welcome to the Outdoor Feast by Modern Carnivore. Uh, This is Todd Waldron. And I am pleased to be joined by my good friend, Mark Norquist, founder of Modern Carnivore. We're at Pheasant Fest 2020 in Minneapolis. Got about 30, maybe 30,000 people coming through here. A lot of people here, here. a lot of people, yeah. A lot of people coming through here this week. And it's an amazing uh, event. Uh, There are people coming in from all over the country. There are people coming in from a lot of different backgrounds and communities. And uh, we are launching the Outdoor Feast podcast here. This is incredibly exciting. And so what we want to do is just share a little bit about the Outdoor Feast and what we're all about. And I'll talk a little bit about Modern Carnivore. Uh, We're going to be presenting a podcast today with our good friend Lan Tawney from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and our friend Jamie Carlson from You Cook It Right. Uh, It's an amazing conversation. We had a lot of fun with it. And so we just want to share a little bit about um, Outdoor Feast and what we hope to do. So, Mark, what would you have to say about all that? Yeah, I, ju- I just say, you know, this goes back. A lot of people have been asking as they, you know, see the sign. And we put out a little picture the other day and saying, here's what it is. And everybody's like, I'm really excited. What is it? Um, you know, you and I started talking about this a long time ago. And uh, it was an I- idea of bringing together the work you're doing, the work I'm doing, in a way that makes sense because we're we're you and i man we're just so aligned in our philosophies and what we want to do and it's really have conversations with people about you know the philosophy of responsible hunting and public access and uh fair chase and the wonderful aspect of food as as a, as a catalyst to get people interested in these activities, and so it just made sense yep. for us to create something. And you and I were sitting out in Brooklyn, New York, at a coffee shop, and and uh, came up with the outdoor feast, playing yeah. off the word. It, it, yeah, that's right. I mean, it was uh, that was a great conversation, and I think that you know with the podcasting that we've done, um, you know, when I think about the you know the pillars of what we're trying to accomplish here, you know, it's community building, it's breaking down barriers, it's creating an opportunity for people who want to explore connections to the outdoors and to their food and to themselves and to be able to have an accessible community wherever they're starting from, right? Right. And to be able to have a resource and a community to be able to share some stories, to be able to help support them and encourage them through their hunting journeys, to talk about their hunting journeys and to share about how how all that connects with food. And like that goes right back to the whole modern carnivore, um, you, you know, mission. And I think, and what you've been up to for years and years and years, uh, with with trying to you know help people make those connections. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's and it's um, and you've been doing it too. And 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 you know, I think people are asking, okay, so you're creating a new podcast, going to sunset the old one? No, I'm going to still all host modern carnivore. Todd's going to host outdoor feast. Uh, with a bit of an eastern focus. There's a lot of geography between us. Exactly, there <laughs> so, is. There is exactly. We, of, <laughs> we can talk about the same, a lot of the same things, but it's it's applied in a lot of different ways. Right. You know, and that's where, you know when we came up with this idea, it was in New York when we had this wild game dinner event at David's house and 35 people talking about hunting when they live in the city, and so 
that was really the catalyst too in terms of like, wow, here's one of the biggest cities in the world where there are some unique challenges around around hunting if you are a hunter, if you wanted to get into hunting. And so let's have, have those be some of the focus areas. There are obviously East Coast issues and different Eastern issues that, that apply. Um, modern carnivore, well, we're not geographic specific. Obviously, being based here in Minnesota, we have a Midwestern sort of flavor to it. And so I think people want to listen to both. Hopefully they will. Yep. Um, that'll happen. Here's the one thing that everybody gives me a hard time about all the time, which is I am horrible at getting podcasts out on a regular basis, <laughs> whereas you, my friend, are phenomenal. Well, we can work together on all exactly. that stuff. That's what I'm so. thinking. You'll be, good, you'll be a good catalyst for me to get I, off the I think it comp- I think we complement each other yeah. pretty well because yeah. you're helping me an awful lot with the podcast quality and everything like that. So I think this is going to be a great opportunity. I'm thrilled about it. Yeah. I want people to stay tuned. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have some amazing conversations coming down, right? Yeah, absolutely, so, man. Um, and I'm going to just say for people listening, um, if, they're, if they haven't found you on Facebook yet, um, Modern Carnivore, you're on yep. Facebook and Instagram, follow it. Yep. Right? Just get on there and follow that. They'll be able to keep up with um, what's going on. Absolutely. We'll for be both we'll platforms. Be, exactly. We'll have, you can go to modcarn.com. And, uh, and we'll have all the podcasts on there is, is where they'll be published. But it'll, you can also get them on whatever uh, platform you use. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so I, I think that's great. So without further ado, uh, we're thrilled to be bringing this podcast from Pheasant Fest 2020 with Lantani and Jamie Carlson to you. And I hope you like it. Hey, everyone, what's up? This is Todd Waldron with the Outdoor Feast. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm going to say that I don't have the opportunity very often to have three guests on the podcast like we have this week. I mean, how often do I get the chance to have Lantani with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and Mark Norquist from Modern Carnivore and Jamie Carlson from You Cook It Right all on the podcast at the same time, right? So this is going to be a great conversation. The other thing I'm going to say is the reason we have this conversation cranking today is because we are at Pheasant Fest. 2020 in Woo. Minneapolis and this place, this place is rocking right <laughs> so there is energy here beyond belief so here's like a did you know like this is the random stuff I do when I'm flying and I'm bored and I'm looking at my phone and everything so I was doing some research on when uh, Owen Denny and his wife Gertrude introduced the pheasants in 1881 from China so he was like the consulate um, to China and he was living over there, and he was originally from Portland, Oregon, right? So he got this idea. He started eating pheasants and, like, liked them. Yep. And he thought, man, this could work in Oregon and Washington. So he sent, like, 60 pheasants over on a boat to Port Townsend, Washington in 1881. And uh, there was some mortality on that first trip, so he sent them again in 1882. So, like, what happened is it just the rest is history, right? But I'm going to tell you one thing, that he also sent some Mongolian sand grouse, according to the Internet. And I don't see anybody around here with a Mongolian <laughs> sand grouse fest hat on. So I'm just saying, you know, for the record, we're here celebrating Pheasant Fest. And by um, the way, for those grouse, like... Do we really want, like, we want to introduce another species to <laughs> That's right. Whoever's listening to this, like, don't get the idea that that's a good idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little so, bucket biology. Yeah. So uh, it's a pleasure to have all three of you on the podcast. So um, Land, 
you, you've got some stuff going on this weekend here we're going to talk about. It's, cool. Yeah, it's great. You know, good I'm to have I'm kind of on, on the down end of it right now, which is like, kind of cool. Like, you know, I got to get so to hang out with you guys, you know. I got a little panel here in a little bit, but, yeah, yep. it's, uh, I'm at the tail end of it, and uh, it's been awesome, man. Like, it's, it's These good. are our people. Like, yeah. These, these are, like, this is Backcountry Hunters and Anglers people at this place. And I did not know that. It was my first time here, but there are people, man. This is your first time here? First well, not first time to Minneapolis, but yeah. first time to Pheasant Fest. Mine too. So well, we're in it together, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> and and so Jamie, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast as well. Thanks. Tom. So you are cranking it up with some of your wild food posts, like on on social media, like with the mod carn posts that you do, and some of the recipes. And I'm really excited to have you on this podcast well, talking about you. what you're up to. And of course, Mark, thanks so much for working through this whole process to get Outdoor Feast cranked up with Modern Carnivore. This is so exciting, man. I can't even tell you how fun this is. So you gotta, you gotta tell how it, how, it, how it came about. Oh, so how it came about was Mark and I were sitting in a coffee shop in Brooklyn. We did a wild food event in Brooklyn, in Cobble Hill, like Bed-Stuy. I mean, I'm talking downtown Brooklyn. Yeah. And so last summer we did this wild food event and 25, 30 people showed up, right? It was amazing. It was so, so we, cool. It was so cool. It was the coolest thing we've ever done. And so we were in a coffee shop um, that morning down by the Meat Hook, which is this place that had just gotten on the New York Times um, article for something. And we're in this coffee shop, and this whole idea of Outdoor Feast came together. It was Mark's idea, I think. I mean, we had been talking yeah, about it. Yeah, we have been talking about it for a while, but it so, came together that morning. Yeah. So in the heart of New York City, where there's this intense interest in for people that want to have access to learn how to hunt and want to have responsible connections to food. And we thought, man, this is a perfect segue for Modern Carnivore, and it's a perfect opportunity to take what Modern Carnivore is doing and put it on the East Coast and in the metro areas and everything. And so we fired it up, and that's what How did you two first meet? At the rendezvous. Oh, oh, oh the it was rendezvous. The <laughs> Love it. <laughs> So I'm like I like meet everybody at the rendezvous land. Like so I met, when I first met you, like yeah, I know you were Missoula. the second person I met. Tim Brass was the first. Well, that's because there's only three people there. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think so. But. So we were at that grill out in Missoula, and like this is like four or five years ago, and. And this guy walks up to me. He says, hey, man, I love hearing the Monte Carver podcast. We're sharing it up and down the seaboard. I'm like, who the, who the heck are you? <laughs> yeah. I was I was just doing, yeah, I was just there. I just showed up. Like, you're kind of a, like, you're very gregarious. Like, you go out and, like, talk to multiple people, like, you know, which I think is a good thing, right? It is. Yeah. I'm just all over the place. There's nobody like Mr. Waldron. I knew from that moment that forward that we were going to do so, something together. I'm yeah. like, absolutely, man. Yeah, so um, it's great to have you all on. And so everybody has some really cool stuff going on at Pheasant Fest this year, right? So, Land, you're here. Um, you're speaking here pretty soon sure. um, on the on the public lands forum, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, Mark, you've got some great stuff coming down with um, learn the, the hunt camp online, mm-hmm. right, that you can talk about. Jamie, you've got some great recipes that you've been cranking out lately. So let's just, uh, if, if you guys are okay with it, let's just start with Land. And, and Land, tell us a little bit about what you're up to, why you're here this weekend. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll segue into the conversation. This whole conversation is really about expanding conversations and stories and, and inviting people. Everybody has a story when it comes to hunting and accessing communities and stuff like that. So we're going to ask you some questions about your hunting journey. Cool. And uh, we'll go from there. So uh, lay it on us. Uh, I'm here, and I would say in particular because of Howard Vincent. 
Howard Vincent, who is the CEO of Peasants Forever, is one of the most genuine. Uh, like he just builds you up, man. Like he's like, is it like, somebody that you want to be around? And because he makes you happy, but he also like wants to help you like be the best that you can be. And so, I think fundamentally that's why we're here, like in a big way. And I know the chapter, you know, had a booth last this last year, but we're in a much bigger place, than, you know, that we've ever have been at this at, at this uh, event. This is my first time here. When I think about like pheasant hunting, you know, I've I've definitely hunted pheasants on uh, private ground, but the pheasant hunting that I remember is on these like national wildlife refuges where I'm like ambling around with my dog. And like following my dog, and I don't really know where that adventure is going to lead me, you know. And and what we found very quickly is that a lot of people here enjoy the same things that we do, you know, whether it's hunting pheasants or hunting quail. And quail in particular, especially down like in Arizona, New Mexico, if you hunt on public land, man, mm-hmm. and it's hard hunting. But what we love, like the thing that I think brings it all all together, is like the dog work, you know. Yeah. That dog work. I mean, I got a lab, and like in this place, like people are like, "Oh, lab, like, nice, <laughs> nice non-pointer," but like, you know, like, and but it's also the number one dog that's owned by I think like pheasants, like, yeah. like yep. owners, I'm sure, or pheasant hunters. And so, like, we're here, man, and I'm I get to speak about public lands, and you know, I always kind of gauge like how you know a crowd is by if they ask questions, you know. And I've gotten to speak twice on the stage. And I'm gonna do that here again in a little bit. But the questions that are happening are very astute questions. Like, people are paying attention, and, like, they want to be engaged. And, like, that to me, like, that shows how much this crowd cares about public lands. It shows how much public lands are very universal, especially in this, like, hunting world. So I'm glad to be here, man. And uh, the Minnesota chapter is absolutely crushing it. Our uh, college club that's at, is it, is it University of Minnesota? Is that yeah, the, Twin Cities. Dude. Yeah. They're killing it. Yeah, dude. yeah. They're no. killing it. And, like, I mean, I watch them work, and... And, you know, I, I get to get paid for this stuff. You all are like, kind of volunteers that are part of this organization. Like, it's amazing, like, the amount of energy that everybody has, especially day after day here. So I'm stoked to be here, and that's why I'm here. Yeah, we're stoked to have you here. And, like, you know, somebody coming from New York and seeing this is a really uh, incredible venue. There's some serious energy here today. There's sure. some great people, and it's really cool to have this um, – this big focus, like you're here with Fosberg's here from TRCP. Ben Jones is here, yeah. so it's really cool. What Pheasants ben Forever? Jones. Yeah, <laughs> Rough so, Let's like make sure we get a shout out for that, Rough that's Grouse right. Society. So <laughs> let's give a big shout out to Pheasants Forever and Pheasant Fest for bringing uh, stakeholders yes. together, absolutely, and absolutely. raising the roof. That's how we here. get stuff done, right? That's how we get stuff yeah. done. And Mark, talk a little bit about some of the great things you're doing with Mod Carn and what you're up to this weekend here. Well, I wanna, I'm looking over here right now. This, see this tall gentleman right over here? He's he's awakened the hunter within. That's Bryce. Bryce was... Tall drink of water. Tall Bryce, drink yeah. of water he is, exactly. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was one of our new hunters this last year. So Modern Carnivore and Pheasants Forever partnered together with a grant through Minnesota DNR, an R3 grant, to get people out hunting. And so Pheasants Forever reached out to membership and said, who wants to be a mentor? Modern Carnivore reached out to the community and said, who wants to learn to hunt? Brought them together, created this whole series. BHA was involved last spring. We had a hunting mentor training event going on, which we, we crushed it with. It was crazy. We put Love out... that word, by the way, crushed, crushed it. Crushed it. Yeah. We put out an invite 
I want to say it was 72 hours, maybe 48 hours before the actual event. It was about 48 hours. We put out an invitation, which I I said to to Aaron, I said, I don't know if we should send out this invite because it's like going to be in two days. We're planning this event. It's going to fail. We literally sold it out, all 50 seats in 48 hours. Wow. And had this room filled with hunters saying, I want to mentor a new hunter. That's cool. That's it was awesome. It was such a great way to kick this thing off. So, yeah, so we just presented Colby Kerber from Pheasants Forever, who's the hunting heritage coordinator, uh, and myself. We just uh, presented on the pathway to the Upland stage and talked about this program, talked about what we did, talked about Bryce, this gentleman right over here, and about nine other people who are here, a bunch of them here today, talking about their experience going out to hunt for the first time. Why did they get into it? A lot of people, it's food. A lot of people, what is the most amazing part of the event, of the, event the weekend, and their full experience? The camaraderie, which that's what we got in spades with BHA. That's what Pheasants Forever has. Totally. And that's yes. what's so fun to see at this event. All of us, the BHA family here, the Pheasant Forever the family, cross yeah, right? coming together. Totally, yeah. absolutely is. So it's exciting stuff. It's great stuff, and uh, it's so exciting to see the growth and see all the platforms expand. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. cool stuff. There's good stuff ahead. And Jamie, I have been like I've seen your you hook it right platform out there for a long time, and I've admired it for a long time on social. And so, talk a little bit about that. And uh, for anybody that's living in the East that is not familiar with it, talk a little bit about You Cook It Right, some of the cool things you're doing, some of what you're up to lately, and like how it all folds into Mod Carn. All right. So, brief story. Uh, my wife and I got married. We moved in together. We were sitting there at the dinner table, and I told her, hey, I'm going to cook venison tonight. She says, well, I don't like venison. And I'm like, well, you just haven't had to cook right. She says, well, I had a boyfriend, and he said the same thing, and he cooked it right, and it wasn't very good. And I have a pretty good cookbook collection, and I just said, you know, if you look through these cookbooks and read them, there's not a single recipe that ends, when done, tastes bad. So, I mean, that's not the way it works. Yes. So, uh, there's there's, there's different ways of cooking things, and with wild game, you know, I grew up in a household where it was sort of assumed that wild game has, you know, got bad stuff in it. So we have to cook it well. Uh, all the venison was cooked until it was as hard as a hockey puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, all our ducks and geese were, you know, soaked in salt and then baked until they were stringy and dry. So I sat down and I cooked venison for my wife. And uh, one of the very simple things I do, I grind some garlic and some juniper and black pepper and salt. Uh, a little olive oil, make a paste out of it, rub it on a venison loin, sear it, slice it up, and then deglaze the pan with bourbon, add some heavy cream, salt, pepper. Very simple. Uh, fed it to her. She loved it. Tasted better than anything she'd ever had. And it's just a very simple concept. You have to cook things correctly. Dude, I'm hungry right now. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say. The way you just it over here. <laughs> you, you can't pan sauce. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you can't, you can't take a a piece of venison and cook it the way you would beef the fat there's no fat in venison so you can't it's not as forgiving you can take a piece of ribeye and you can cook it well done and it's still kind of juicy yeah uh venison won't won't do that for you a goose breast will not do that for you uh if you take a goose breast and you cook it rare uh maybe a little medium rare 135 140 maximum uh you're going to get a very tasty delicious almost beef-like flavor you cook it to 165, and you're going to get a funky, disgusting, 
tough, tough yep. piece of meat. Yep. Uh, and understanding that and understanding the things that you can pair with those things. So we're here at Pheasant Fest, and one of the things that I've really been pushing lately is using the rest of those birds. Mark and I were down at the Governor's Pheasant opener a couple of years ago. Uh, the college or the high school was there, yeah. and yeah. they were going to clean all the birds for everybody. So everybody went out. They shot 50, 60 birds that day. They were going to clean them all. They breasted everything out and threw the rest of the bird away. And then I was like, well, where are all the uh, legs? Well, we threw them in the garbage. I'm like, well, why? Those legs are full of meat. There's all sorts of good things to do there. So I've been doing a lot of stuff with pheasant legs and kind of focusing on things that people throw out. Ducks and geese are the same way. I used to hunt a lot with guys that breast everything out, throw the rest of it away. There's so much to do with the rest of that bird. Uh, and yeah. it did. It is work. You know, you got to pluck a goose. And if you've ever shot a limit of geese and sat down and plucked six geese with you and your buddy, you're there time. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind so, of fun, It's though, like right? cleaning Well, birds. it is. You yeah. know, yeah. The, the conversation yeah. that we're having right now, you can do that over at, like, geese. Right. right? You exactly. grab a 12-pack of beer, you sit down, you start oh, plucking. Good. Yep. Uh, you know, over the years. You with a 12-pack? Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you start doing it. But, you know, over the years, I've, I've gotten better at how I do things and my grandmother taught me how to do most of it. She used to teach me to dip these birds, and you dip them in wax and mm-hmm. cold water back and forth. You get a good crust on them, and you peel all that off, and it works brilliantly. But, God, it's messy, and it takes forever. But if you pluck a goose or a duck or any other bird, uh, and you get it down to those little feathers that are left, and you just go over it with a blowtorch quick, and then take some duct tape. Yep. Reverse it on your hand and just rub them with duct tape. Everything comes off, and they're just as clean. It's faster. It's easier. And it's delicious. It's Duck awesome. I, by the way, I've hunted a lot of birds. That's the first time I've even ever even heard about using duct tape. And like, if I only glean one thing, that is amazing. Dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's wait, the wait. Tip of the I just right missed there. that. I was I was talking to my wife over over Lance head there. Duct tape? Yeah, duct tape. Get out of here. So you take you know you you pluck your bird, and then you've got all the little down little feathers little yeah, yeah, and yeah. little yeah. hairs. Uh, take a blowtorch. Go over it real quick. They burn off real quick. You're not cooking anything. And then just take three or four rolls of duct tape around your hand, but reverse it around so that your whole hand is just a mitt of duct tape. And then just rub it. And all yep. the little stuff comes right Dude, off. And that is today's me. episode brought to you by 3M. <laughs> <laughs> and there we have it. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to say... Um, a few things. I mean, there's some. There's a lot to talk about there because that's amazing for one, to, to be able to enjoy the wild food. Um, it just amplifies everything that we do and it cements our connection to the outdoors and to hunting and what we're all about. And I'm going to say also that like the there's so much power like in being able to prepare food in such a compelling way to be able to share food. There's so much power in sharing a meal. There's so much opportunity for starting a conversation over that meal, you know, that being able to do it in a way that draws people in is, is limitless in my opinion. Well, you're you're sharing part of you, right? Like I think like that's one of the coolest things about, I have some neighbors back home and they have two kids and they don't hunt, like, you know, like, and they don't fish really. And like the ability to like have them over for dinner and share what like I killed and then what I cooked with them, I'm not as good as Jamie. I'm Jamie. Like, come on. Like, I'm going to invite you over to my house. <laughs> like, a simple thing. Oh, dude. That was pretty rad. Yeah. But, uh, like, that ability to, like, share that, like, and share that experience, right? And, like, and like 
I think is such a really cool thing, and, and like I think like venison diplomacy has been talked about a lot, but it's so true, you know, and like that because you're sharing something of you with somebody else. Like That's you what don't, I was you don't, say. You'll go to like the grocery yeah. store and be like, personal. "Hey, I'm gonna go buy this like yeah. beef or this right. fish," and like that's not sharing. Like you just went to the grocery yeah. store. Like, right. and, it, and there's a yeah. huge value uh, for me personally. Uh, but when I go out and I shoot a deer, a grouse, squirrels, I love squirrels. Uh, so I, I just did a dinner here uh, a month ago. Uh, invited a bunch of people over, and I fed them squirrels, uh, stinging nettles and uh, pheasants uh, and in I used pheasant legs uh, made a nice uh, pheasant dumplings with a traditional spiced dumpling uh, pheasant uh, or squirrel tacos uh, and then stinging nettle gnocchi uh, and you know people sit down at the table and you're like how is this possible you can't eat stinging nettles I'm like yes you can stinging nettles are delicious and they go well in everything but yeah, they itch, they hurt, they burn your skin. Mm-hmm. And when you're near them, you can't possibly imagine putting that in your mouth. But with a little preparation, you know, you cook them down. Uh, you mix them with potatoes, flour, and egg. You make dumplings. You, you know, fry up a little bacon, take the bacon fat and some parm, and just toss it in a pan, and you've got these beautiful green dumplings that are just delicious. Yeah. Stingy nettles. So that's your, like, do you have a recipe on that? Yeah. Yeah. on moderncarnivore.com. Oh, yeah. well, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Promo. And you've been missing out all uh, these promo. years, Lan. <laughs> will, sorry. Will you be attending uh, the Field the Table dinner this year? I, I, I will be working the Field the Table You're going to be working. I will Can be I, serving I, stinging nettles. I would love to be your sous chef, too. Please I, do. I mean, like, literally, the way you talk about things, they're all so simple they are. I'm like, man, I just want to be around you and glean, like, one thing. Like, if it's, if it's stinging nettles, I'm in, dude. I'm, I'm yeah. debating between the stinging nettle gnocchi or I've been experimenting with all the noodles around the world uh, and <laughs> who says that <laughs> I'm with all the noodles around the world so, you so, say it in such like confidence like you right. have it <laughs> so I did uh, stinging nettle soba noodles so I'm, I'm thinking about doing a cold soba with a maple soy uh, dipping sauce uh, as a starting dish for the first part and then we'll do other things after I might I think I'm going to declare that I'm going to be <laughs> alright <laughs> We, now, you, you heard you, it here first. You heard it I'm here first. <laughs> Mark, what do you think about all that? Uh, I think, Todd, you and I need to try to be sous chefs out there so we can learn, too. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So I'm on it. So, and, and what did you think? Like, we're talking about food. Uh, so, and we kind of let in about talking about the Brooklyn event that we yeah. did. Uh, what was your impression of bringing 25 or 30 new hunters into a conversation around wild food? And, like, what did you take out of that? Did you feel, how did you feel about it when we left? Here's what's fun about that event and about what we're talking about and what we've been talking about here this weekend is, you know, what we do with Modern Carnivore is always start the conversation with food because it's approachable and everybody can relate to it and everybody's drawn to it. And then we can eventually have a conversation about hunting and about the difficult issues with that that are tough for people to think about, killing an animal buying a gun, shooting a gun. These are things that are very difficult for people who have not grown up with hunting to Mm -hmm. to connect to. So for us to go in the middle of New York City and have these conversations like we had at midnight with the question, is wild game kosher? Those are the types of... Who talks about those kinds of questions? Right. And this was was David, our host, our very gracious host, who is a, a brain surgeon. Yes. Uh, lives in Brooklyn. 
and who says to me at the beginning of the night when I meet him, and he says, about five years ago, I started watching some videos online or whatever, and all of a sudden, this whole world of hunting was brought to my doorstep, and I'm thinking to myself, how did I not know this existed before? And then his wife tells me later, all he does is brain surgery all day long, then he comes home, and he's obsessed with looking at hunting things <laughs> and get in about how he can get out hunting. And so I love that as an example just of, of where, again, we get into these mindsets of who a hunter is, who a hunter isn't. And that's what I love about us doing that event and those types of things is breaking those barriers down and basically saying anyone and everyone can hunt. And we all know how important that message is today. Yeah. And that, uh, so that's it, what I take away from that. I, I think so, too. And I, you know what I also took out of it was that... Um, when we look at, um, we talked about entry barriers to hunting and like what are the opportunities, and it always starts with quality habitat and access to land, right? Sure. And the stuff that you're doing with BHA, I mean, we're all but, doing, but yes, but yeah. you know, we're all doing it, right? But it starts with that that very fundamental access to habitat and places to hunt. And then what I also took away from that is that that access conversation starts like becoming more. Uh, and access to community as well. Absolutely. So, like, not only can it be about the access to the place, which is the fundamental part, but having access to a community like Modern Carnivore or others where uh, they have, they can talk to people, they have mentors, they have resources, they have support. You know, because, like, the crazy stuff in New York that we were talking about, yeah. everything, you take everything for granted. You, you have a nice, you know, freezer space, for instance, and a car to go hunting. And if you get a turkey or a duck or a deer how you're going to get it back to your flat in brooklyn and all that stuff and so like that was a cool conversation and kind of an eye-opener from my perspective about public transportation we were to like yeah talking yeah. about can you take what can you can take you your bow yeah, can, can you take, take a gun yeah yeah, right. yeah. 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 so no, like about it so like there's just all sorts of conversations that can spawn out of that it's pretty cool but we all have stories about how we started hunting right some yeah. of us have been hunting a long time some of us are just getting started we all kind of come into it the way we do sure. talk a little bit about your what do you remember as and here's just a, a two-part question like what do you what are your best memories growing up as a kid in Montana hunting and then like how do you like with your kids today like there's something cool about raising kids in Montana and so there's just something that makes my you know skin kind of goose pimple a little bit but like talk a little bit about how that kind of like is how how does that the same and different from maybe how you grew up uh, thank you for the question so you know, I was very lucky to grow up in a family that was immersed in hunting and fishing in the outdoors, you know. And so from a young age, like there's pictures of me on my dad's back fishing like at two years old, you know. And we're fishing the Samfly Hatch down the Big Hole River, which is like if you don't know anything about Samflies, they're about as big as your pinky. And like the fish go absolutely nuts over them. I mean, anybody in this building that's never fly fish can go catch a fish because it's just like it's crazy. They go eat. Then... You know, going to like the duck line with him again before I could hunt, but remembering the the eruption of like the birds before like, like when you drive in there and it's dark and then you get all the decoys out and then you go walk up to the spot, like they're there and they erupt out of there and they're gonna come back. But I remember like the eruption, right? And then I remember like the dogs, you know, like like my dad killing birds and then watching the dog work. Like that's like I don't really remember like the hunting necessarily part of it, but like that's those are the things I remember. And then like elk hunting with my dad, like where. As soon as I could keep up with him, kind of, we'd be going up these steep hills, and, like, we're in snow, and I literally have to walk in his footsteps, 
or I can't keep up, right? If I go off of his footsteps, like I'm down, like, you know, I, I can't move. And so those are the memories I think that, that like stick in my mind and really uh, uh, probably like grounded me and inspired me to do what I'm doing now today. And now that I have these kids, I'm trying to do the same thing with them, man. And, and like I have pictures, you know, and not the pictures are, are the thing, right? Like especially in this Instagram world that we're living <coughs> in. But like I say that is because like it connects me, and so like I have pictures of my daughter on my back, like just like my dad did, right? And I'm taking my kids to the exact same places that I hunted ducks with my dad. I've not taken them elk hunting yet because it's like pretty hard. Mm-hmm. They're not ready yet to like actually walk in my footsteps because they're just not old enough. But those things that like it's like this rhythm of life, you know, that I'm and the ability to pass that. My father is gone now, but to be able to pass on kind of what I experienced with him. And almost give them a connection to my dad that they will never meet. Like their grandfather, they will never meet. I'm showing them things that we did together. And so while they will never meet him, they get to like experience the same things. And so that to me, man, is like, man, I, I, That's I love that opportunity, man. And like, and I, and you know, and without that, you know, what else do I have to pass on to them? I don't know. You know, like, yeah. that, like this is the thing that I'm passing on to them. And hopefully it's someday that, uh, you know, they're lucky enough to have children and maybe not, but like if lucky enough to have children, they get to pass on the same thing. So I'm, I'm just a, I'm, we're all in this continuum, right? Like they're just like things come before us and now we're here and then we're going to pass it on. And like I, I feel like I'm right in the pass it on moment right now and it feels really special to me. Yeah, that is powerful, <laughs> powerful stuff, my friend. Yeah. That's good stuff. It's, and and so you're Montana yeah. native. You're, you're in Montana. You lived in Louisiana Fifth generation, for a- like no big deal, you know, like, you know, my family's been there, you know, since the 1870s. <laughs> right. Long As, time. Yeah. Long, long time. What was it like for you? Like, you were in Louisiana for a while, right? Yeah, I, I ran a campaign down Louisiana, so I, I got to go get my fingernails, like, in the marsh, and I still have dirt underneath those fingernails. And I will tell you that, like, that, I think that's part of my favorite part of my job, but also during that experience is going and learning different things. You know, you grow up in Montana, you're like, this is the best, which there's a Steinbeck quote that's like, I'm in love with Montana. If other states have admiration, but with Montana, it's love, and it's hard to describe it. That's definitely where I am. But I have admiration, and Louisiana is one of those places where I have a ton of admiration for it, just because of how dynamic that marsh is. I think the people, the food, the culture, and then that landscape down there are just, like, absolutely amazing, and no else that I've ever been is like that. And so, uh, you know, that, that delta that's down there, which is, you know, vitally important, you know, 70% of the birds in North America winter over there. And that marsh has been disappearing since the 1930s at a rate of a football field every single hour think about that every single hour they've lost like the size of new jersey down there as far as marsh and while that's super tragic it's still very productive now all you got to do is put that river back to work and basically you know if you think about a garden hose and and i know people can't watch that but i'm gonna try to describe it it's like a garden hose that just like kind of goes straight out and we need to cut holes in that garden hose and so then all of a sudden it acts like a real delta again right like Mm -hmm. you have people living down there and that's why they've like kind of like channelized that mississippi river Mm -hmm. And like what starts up here in Minnesota, but that has killed the marsh, yeah. Because like, they don't get that fresh water, and they don't get the sediment, like they don't get the like the dirt during mm-hmm. the high water, and they don't get the fresh water. And so like marsh has been dying. So it's a very simple fix. It's a very expensive fix. And uh, I think the, my, one of my favorite things in my whole career, well, and this is like sad, is that is that you know the deep water horizon spill happens. People lose their lives. It's like pretty tragic down there. 
what you get out of that is you get like Clean Water Act fines. And I usually Clean Water Act fines that go right back to the treasury. They don't go you know, to actual restoration, which is confusing to me. Like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you spend the money from that on exactly like to try to clean it up? But so we had to work really hard with a bunch of other partners, but we passed a thing called the Restore Act, and that Restore Act got $18 billion to help clean up the marsh. That's a few dollars. And that is seven or probably eight years ago when that passed. They're just now about ready to put on the, in the first project. So it's almost been a decade. But it's wow. going to happen, dude. And like wow. in that time, again, a football field an hour has been happening. There's places that's, there. That's they, hard to even fathom. Comprehend. Oh, dude, it's like when you go down there and you got GPS on a boat and you're running, you're going out to go try to fish somewhere, it shows that you have marsh everywhere and it's wide open, dude. And that, that GPS is like one or two years old. Like they, it's, it's really that dynamic. And like if you're not down there, you really don't understand it. But like... And so now we're going to be able to restore that place, hopefully, right? Like we've got some money to be able to do that. And, like, that to me is kind of like, like why we're all doing what we do, right? Mm-hmm. It's like try to make this place better. And that is a place we're actually going to be able to see it, hopefully, in our lifetimes. You know, and, like, and I've, I've been down there, and there's a place called the Wax Lake Delta, which is a um, – it's like the Chafalaya, which comes off of the, the Mississippi River. It's a, like an old, like, uh, uh, riverbed of the Mississippi River, but it's like a river that comes off of that. It creates marsh down there because of all that fresh water and that, that, and, that, and that sediment. And you're walking out there. It's like the Garden of Eden. It's called Flaton. Little, little French there, Flaton. <laughs> wow, very good. And, like, you're walking on it. It's, like, spongy. And you're walking <laughs> on it. And, like, like, you might be the first person, like, literally to be walking on that because it's so brand new. Right? Wow. And so, like, and it's spongy. And as, as that stuff dies, then it creates dirt, you know? And then it just builds on itself and builds on itself. And all of a sudden, you got, like, solid land. And so you might be the first person that's ever walked on that. And that's what's going to happen with that river delta. And, like, to me, like, being a part of something like that is pretty damn cool. Man. Pretty that, damn cool. It's pretty um, – it's amazing. And so, like and, – and you said 70% of the birds winter down there. 70%, dude. I mean, billions. Billions. Maybe millions. Millions. I, like, I don't – Let's say, I'll rephrase that, millions of birds. Million. <laughs> Maybe. Land, I'm not asking you for a number here. Man, I'm just, I, I, I'm just I, going I, I, with I, you, but, man. But, but, <laughs> so we I got, should probably know that answer was millions or billions. But like so, you said billions, I was like, that's a lot. A lot of birds. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to back off my billion statement and just say 70% of the birds. Yeah, I would have gone it's, there, especially too. Waterfowl, okay. though, but especially waterfowl. Especially like, you know, waterfowl. They, they they're up here in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. You know, the eastern part of Montana, that's where, like, the prairie pothole region is, like, where they get produced. Yeah. And where do they go? They go to freaking Louisiana, yeah. dude. And, yeah. like, and it's, I mean, I, it's it's a pretty special place. They have, uh, it's another brother that's down there. There's, like, a Rosie, uh, what is it, Rosie Bill's, like, no, it's Rosie, Sp- Rosie Spoonbill. It's, like, these mm-hmm. pink birds have these big, like, bills that are, like, kind of like a spoon that comes out. Mm-hmm. Like, this is very unique, like, awesome, like, I've only seen them in Louisiana, but they're like, hmm. crazy, dude. Like, and it's it's pretty cool. So, and you see great blue herons down there, which reminds me of home. Um, but again, like, it's, a, it's such a vibrant place, and, and it's and it's been neglected so much. And to see that nature, um, still, it's so productive. That's good. Yep, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an incredible experience to be able to experience something like that, and then be able to come back to Montana. Well, I think and, you know, like, sorry to cut you off. Like, no, go ahead. I, I think. Like, what's cool about that is that's, like, public land and public water down there. Mm-hmm. That belongs to us right now, sitting here in Minneapolis. 
just as much as it belongs to those cages that have been down there for like generations. Like when yeah. I say I'm a fifth generation Montana and I'm excited about that, yeah. they're like, yeah, nice. Like we've been here for 10 generations. And I'm like, I mean, like it's been developed for a long, or like that's one of the first yeah. places people Absolutely. came. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, especially with the French. Yeah. So then that's that. It's like Florida and the Everglades is up in Alaska. You know I mean? All this stuff belongs to all of us. Like the Boundary Waters here in northern Minnesota. Like another special, special landscape. That belongs to all of us, dude. Like, we live like kings and queens. This is our kingdom. Yeah. But it didn't happen by accident. It's not going to be cared for by accident either. So it's, like, up to us. It's up to, to us get to, to get it, yep, to it, get it done. Us, yep. yeah. And what was it like when you moved down there and, like, you found this paradise? I went down there a lot. Like, I never lived down there. Oh, like, you never lived down there. Like, you I just was, worked down there. I worked did down there. Did you hunt down there? I, did you I, hunt birds? I hunted down there. I fished What down was there. it like? Did you just find somebody to go hunting with or did you just go off and do it on your I own? I mean, since you're doing a, since you're working on a campaign, like a restoration, like, I get, I got hooked up with some pretty cool people. Yeah. There's a guy named uh, Jared Serenier who is, uh, God, he's like seven generations down there. Serenier. I had a long time, saying his, a hard time saying his last name for a while and I finally figured it out. But when he took me to, uh, I think it was like a, it was like an oak tree. It's out in the marsh. And this oak tree, like, like stands out. Everything's like flat, 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 flat. And then there's like this oak tree. And he shows me these shells. And like, this has been a, like a, this oak tree has been a, uh, it's like it's been a beacon for generations. And so there's all these shells where the Native Americans that were down there, like the people that were living down there would see that. And that's where they would, they would, they would go out and like collect all of these like kind of oysters and stuff. And they would come back and they would shuck their shells like right there. And so there's like, it's like you have this big oak tree and all these shells that have been there for generations, dude. And so like to be around him, that's pretty cool. I would hope for him to listen to this at some point. Like he took me alligator hunting down there, which is freaking crazy as a Montana kid. Like I'm scared as all get out of an alligator. And like to go down there and do that, like we hunted ducks in the morning and, uh, and then like went and got alligators in the afternoon, dude. And like, and we probably could have fished redfish in between that. Yeah. And it's just like, it's such a plethora of place. And so, yeah, the hunting and fishing down there, like it's world, world class, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. And so here's one more question for you yeah. that I've been wanting to ask. Like, so somebody comes into Pheasant Fest that's a new hunter wants to get started what advice would lantani give somebody that's somebody that just wants to explore it maybe not sure but they see this opportunity as a way to connect to the outdoors and themselves and their food what would you say i mean, i would i would say find your community you know yeah i think i think you know we all are sitting here and and like we are friends because of like this like this public lands kind of thing that's brought us together so we have a community, right? And, like, we can have conversations or we can be vulnerable and ask questions and feel very safe in that. And so I think as a new hunter, like, find your community, you know, and whether that's through Modern Carnivore, whether that's through Pheasants Forever, through Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, whoever it is, like, find your community and, like, and, like, and, like, build those relationships and so you can feel vulnerable. Like, being a new hunter, like, there's all sorts of questions that you want to ask and you might not want to ask because you're too nervous, like, but when you're more comfortable around somebody, like, you're going to ask those questions. And so, you know, I think, you know, if you're a woman, is that, like, having a community of women? Like, you know, I don't, like, like choose your community. Yeah. Yeah. And find, like, that, find that community. And they're out there. And I think that's our jobs, you know, as ambassadors in this whole thing is to really, like, help, like, create these communities. And so people feel comfortable, like, actually coming in and being vulnerable. Because, I, you know, no matter what you start, whether it's hunting or, you know, if I was a... Uh, race car driver. I don't know why I'm gonna choose that. Like, <laughs> like there's a lot of un- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dapper hat. But, uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Ireland in the number uh, 93 car. Uh, yeah. um, Sponsored by what is 3M? 3M. <laughs> Again, great reference. 
I see how you're like you're like going after that, dude. I'll say it one more time, 3M. Um, but I think finding that community that like, can teach you, you know, and you can feel comfortable. I think that, like to me, that would be my biggest advice is is, is really um, find people that you feel comfortable around and like have them help you. Yeah, I think that that is really solid advice, Jamie. Mark, what do you think about that? What would you add? Yeah, I just, just I just add from the standpoint of what what I what I like seeing to 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 go along lines of, of the community is like today this event here right here of different communities working together when it comes to new hunters you know that's that's what we're obsessed about and we, right here we have different types of organizations different types of community that overlap and come together and work together and and check the ego at the door and that didn't and it didn't always work that way i mean we've all been around this hunting community for our whole lives we've seen all sides of it and that didn't happen nearly enough and it's coming together more and more and with the leadership that that you're providing with bha with what howard's doing with pheasants forever it's just awesome to see these things coming together and 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 communities welcoming people and hey you want to learn to pheasant hunt great you know, is public lands a place to do it? How do you get into it? I mean, it's, it's everybody yeah. working together, and it's yeah. and it's an iterative process, but it's exciting. Yeah, I'd encourage everybody to eat. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's it's a thing with wild game. That's not, that's like, like the name of this podcast. Yeah. I encourage everybody to eat. <laughs> I just when when you try wild game the first time, sometimes it's off putting, uh, and. Very important advice my grandmother told me. Try everything twice. The first time it might not have been done correctly. Mm -hmm. So eat everything and try it differently. Uh, We get into comfort zones, you know. Uh, We're in Minnesota, and apparently there's a law that you're not allowed to do anything with walleye other than fry it and serve it with tartar sauce. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And french fries. I was wondering where you were going with that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, there are different things you can do with things. You don't have Uh, to stick to just fry it, bread it. You know, uh, I grew up in northern Minnesota. The only argument up there was saltine crackers versus Ritz crackers. Yeah. You know, how, what are you breading your fish in? Ritz every day on this side. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I'm with uh, land on that, too. I, yeah. But, I mean, walleye is one of those things here in Minnesota that people freak out about and they get protective of. So, you know, you, you try to do something different. You know, you make a curry with it. Uh, and then everybody's like, why would you do that to a perfectly good fish? Well, because. I've eaten fried fish. I want to try something new. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice, Jamie. So, yeah, I think uh, this is an amazing conversation. Any other thoughts before we uh, sign off on this one? No, I think this has been great. It's been so fun, like you said. I mean, this group getting together, uh, you know. Doesn't happen happen very often. No, so it's fun. I I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it now. Like, you guys make me smile, man. Like, and I I don't mean that in, like, like, this weird way. Or maybe it is weird, but. Is it like being around you guys making me feel better? You know? Yeah. And I think like we all grind a lot, and then we have these opportunities to kind of fill that bucket, you know. And so, you know how this is, you know, we're recording this live, and people are gonna be able to listen to this forever. Like I really would say is like, like, like the people that you're around like really make this all like matter, to, like to me personally. But I hopefully that like resonates with you guys. Is that, like I, you know. It's a brief conversation, but at the same time, man, it's like I'll remember it for the rest of my life. It's fun. Yeah. It's our community, Make right? It, like, it's, and literally, yeah. like, making me smile. Like, I'm smiling talking about it, you know? Like, yeah. This Cheshire grin. And I, I want to have this, like, we're sitting around this fake campfire right now. 
which is absolutely genius, by the way. It looks <laughs> it like it uh, looks really good. Doesn't it looks it? like yeah. uh, like 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 uh, dinosaur poop or something. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it has these logs, like just describing it, and then it has like this wood that you could maybe potentially throw on the fire. But like we've all been sitting around the campfire for a long time, man. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. like that's the way it feels. And like this, like like when you get to like you know sit around it and have these conversations, it feels like we've been doing it forever, and we don't get to see each other that often. No. Right. Well, but it feels very quick and easy, and it's because you guys are good people. And so thank yeah. you for this conversation. Yeah, you're you're quite welcome, and thank you, Land. And I'm going to say it's it's a great pleasure sharing the campfire with you. So we appreciate it. Even if it, it is and a dinosaur poop campfire. Whatever, whatever <laughs> campfire we choose to sit around, yep. right? So no, absolutely. I completely agree. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. It's it's great community and uh, the people, the energy. Um, it's great to be here. And this is uh, the first ever, right? It is this for podcast? me. Yes. Yeah. How lucky are we, dude? When Todd is up there, you know, at some point, and like he won't even call us back anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we were there right. at the first one. Man. When I'm when I'm the executive uh, <coughs> vice president of 3M, <laughs> I'll remember you guys. All right. Okay, we're signing off. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Outdoor Feast podcast. You can check out our other podcast and more at modcarn.com.